Oh, God. Use me today as an instrument in your mercy and of your peace. And allow me to help someone in this room tonight. My name is Milton, and I'm an alcoholic. And, I, and I'm a member of the Newberg Group. And I don't drink. I don't drink whiskey, and I don't drink beer, and I don't drink nothing that's got alcohol in it. And I want you to know that just thrills me. That tickles me all the way down to my toes, because I don't drink. You know, there was a time in my life when when not drinking meant it was going to be a real slow Friday night, huh? <laughs> now, alcoholism is progressive, and the only way alcoholism can progress in a guy like me is to drink it. It still goes on, but you don't see it unless you drink. Alcoholism doesn't surface unless you drink. And I continued to drink to where not drink on meant uh, I was in jail. I couldn't get it or I was too sick to drink it. And if it could have somewhere stopped along there, I wouldn't have had no problem that I couldn't handle. But the progression took me to the point where not drinking became an impossibility. A real horror in my life, and that's what I'm here to tell you about. It's a real pleasure to be in Cincinnati. I was in Cincinnati once before, briefly. I left a guy laying in the middle of Harvard and Broadway, and there was a bus coming, and I ran down and got on a Greyhound, because I heard him. And I was coming to Kentucky, because while I was in Kentucky, I heard a cop, uh, and I had to go to court. And I'm trying to tell you that powerless over alcohol, life unmanageable, uh, my life was unmanageable a long time before I became powerless over alcohol. I could control my drinking then, uh, I think. Uh. <laughs> I never tried to control it, <laughs> but I didn't recognize that as being a problem. But my life was totally unmanageable as I know it today. I couldn't see the trouble I was in then. Uh, alcohol is a baffling disease, alcoholism. I, I couldn't see what was going on in my life. You know, I said at the end of last year, I said, and I try to remember where I was last New Year's, and I couldn't remember. Uh, and it took me a week to remember I was at Newburgh. I was at my home group last year. But I know what I was doing ten years ago. <laughs> That's vivid. That's vivid in my mind. And, and that was the end for me ten years ago. Uh, I can recall getting on a drunk. Uh, sometime in the middle of, I mean, in the beginning of December. Uh, I can remember making promises to quit. I, it took people to the fiancé to, and I didn't have a job uh, uh, to go to. Uh, and, and, and I was going to quit after Christmas, and I was going to quit after New Year's, and I was going to quit, and I was going to quit, and I was going to stop, and, you know, I couldn't do nothing. I couldn't do nothing with my life. Uh, 
I couldn't take a bath at this time in my life. I couldn't change my clothes at this time in my life. Ten years ago, right now, 1970, right now, on this day, I was in serious trouble with alcohol, and I had the, 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 the knowledge in the back of my mind that drinking, something is wrong with my drinking. I don't want to drink like this. I, I was promising myself, and I'd turn the glass over and walk out of the saloon at 10 o'clock in the morning, and I'd been there since 5.30, that I ain't going to drink no more. I'm going to quit. And I wouldn't even get the ignition started, and I'd go back in because I had a drink, and I recognized I had a drink. And it was no fun. There was no dances and no bright lights and nobody to shoot pool with. I was alone, and I was afraid, and I was empty, but I had to drink. It was pathetic, the condition I was in at this time, and, and I stressed that. I'd stand at the bar and I'd wet my pants, and I didn't do nothing about that. I couldn't help myself. That's just what I did. My brain become, I couldn't function. I, I was fogged. I, I was like standing in a wall, and I couldn't figure out how to get away from the wall, and all I had to do was turn around. But my brain didn't work. I can recall being in a conversation with a couple of guys at the bar and, and uh, they'd asked me a question and, and I knew the answer. I, I just couldn't get the answer out. I couldn't bring it out. And when I finally brought the answer out, I'd blurt the answer out. It'd be 10 minutes later and there'd be three subjects away. And they'd get up and walk away. <laughs> It was somewhere around this time, this very day, ten years ago, a guy was home from the service and he had a family and, and he invited me out to, and it was cold. It was cold. And he invited me out to his house uh, to, to say goodbye, like a farewell. And I went out to his house and my car got a flat tire. Now, I want to tell you that I couldn't change that tire. I mean, I was big enough and strong enough and was physically capable to change that tire, but I had a fear inside of me that I couldn't go out there and change that tire. I was robbed of my ability to live my life. I couldn't change that tire. And, and worse than not being changed in that tire was that I couldn't tell nobody. I was so embarrassed and ashamed that I couldn't tell nobody. I, I just can't change that tire. So I slept on a floor and on the couch and in the bathroom and, and they just left me. They, they just, I was just drunk and, and, and that's it. I finally got a guy, a kid, coming down the street, making a couple of bucks, stopped and asked me. Sure. I remember leaving that guy's house and, 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 and it was just like a sponge. My brain was like a sponge. It just soaked up alcohol. It ran out of my pores and I stunk. Now there's an odor that drunks have and I know that odor because I had it. And not even dead bodies smell like a drunk. <laughs> And in this period of time, I was arrested and let go and arrested again, and I didn't know it. It was on my record. I didn't know that. <laughs> I was lost. 
I, I, I was lost. I couldn't, I couldn't make a meal. I couldn't eat a meal. I, I couldn't change clothes. I couldn't sleep. I, I, I couldn't think. I couldn't function. I just drank, and I didn't want to drink. And it's a hell of a condition for a guy to find himself in. Alcohol was the best friend I ever had in my life. It took me away from the pain and the misery of a house filled and torn apart by alcoholism. When I drank, I, I didn't feel that pain no more. It took me away from the, the, the inadequacies, if you will, of a child, of a teenager, who if he had just worked, he would have grown up anyhow. But you give me a drink and I didn't have to work at nothing. <laughs> but alcohol was a liar. <laughs> Alcohol turned on me like a snake turns on a man. And it hurt me. And I didn't know what to do with my life. What I stood for and what I believed in my life was no longer what I was or what I was doing. I can remember walking in a saloon and, and it got hold and he stopped me at the door and he gave me 15 bucks and he said, go somewhere else and drink. And I thought that was just the greatest thing. Uh, <laughs> You know, he's afraid of me. I, I didn't see the humanity, the inhumanity of myself. I, I didn't see the selfishness of myself. I didn't see the inability to care about what I had become. I was sitting on a saloon in January, the middle of January, sitting on a stool, and it was 3 o'clock. The joint was closed, and everybody, they, everybody went home, but they left me there. As long as I wasn't hurting nobody and as long as I wasn't destroying nothing, they just left me. And a guy pounded on a door and, 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 and I went over to that door and I threw that door open and I hit him. And I broke his nose and I kept hitting him and I blacked his eyes and I kept hitting him. And when he finally hit the ground, I started kicking him and I kicked him. And I broke his ribs and I kept kicked and I kicked him right from the sidewalk out into the gutter. And I tell you, I didn't want to do that. I was powerless over alcohol, and my life was unmanageable, and I'm vividly aware of it, and there's nothing I can do about it. I didn't want to do that. The bottle was calling the shots in my life. And if it told me to kill that guy, then I was going to kill him, because I didn't even know him. And I hated nobody more than I hated myself. And there was nothing I could do about that. And they picked me up and they put me in a cell. <laughs> I was quite familiar with cells. I remember the first time I got busted for intox and they, and they took me and put me in a cell and called my mother, called my lawyer, came, give me, I got to get out of here. And the guy told me, he said, relax, they're going to let you go in a couple hours. And you know what? They did. And I never changed my life. I never put the bottle in a position where it was going to be what I wanted it to be. I put my life in a position where the bottle ran it. Whatever the bottle told me to do, I did from the very beginning. Because the next time I got busted for intox, I took my shoes and I put them behind my head and I lay back and relaxed. It never occurred to me that if I didn't drink, I wasn't going to get busted for intox. 
I adjusted my entire life to the drink, not the drink to my life. I was sitting in that cell and I was in trouble. <laughs> I was on bond. I was already on bond for real bad charges and now I'm in for a real another bad charge because that guy was in a coma. And I sat in that cell and I looked at my life. I looked at the wall. <laughs> my name was in that wall. I put it there when I was 18. I'm 24 and I'm in the same cell. Ain't nothing changed. Nothing got better. And I looked at my life and I asked myself a question. What the hell's wrong with me? Why am I in all this trouble? And I sat in that cell for three days. Now that guy I beat up was a cop. And they locked me in a cell. <coughs> They locked me in the cell and they didn't give me no donuts. They didn't give me no coffee. And if I wanted a drink of water, I had to go down in the toilet and take it. I didn't want to be like this. And I knew the answer to my problem. I knew that if I didn't drink, if I didn't drink, I wouldn't be here. And I made up my mind, I ain't going to drink no more. And that was January the 15th of 1970. I took every fiber in my body, all the courage and all the willpower and all the guts that a rat like me could manifest up and put it towards one subject. I ain't going to drink no more. And I meant it. I stepped out of that cell. And I knew I was going to have to change something. I knew that. I stepped out of that cell and I did everything that I seen other people do that turned into successes. I got a job that I went to every day. I asked a girl to marry me. And you know the funny thing about that was the agreement was never that I honor, cherish, obey, or even work. She didn't care. Just so I didn't drink. And that was that. Melody, if you don't drink, I'll marry you. And I promised. Huh? And I believed it. <laughs> and then I went bawling. <laughs> You see, because the guy next door, he knew how to stay sober. I seen him. The police wasn't beating his door down, and he got up, and he went to work, and he come home, and he ate supper, and then he went balling. And I just did those things, because that's what that guy did. But you know, there's a difference between me and the normal people of the world. Me and the guy next door, I'm an alcoholic, and I got to do something far over and above what the rest of the world has to do in order to live a normal, decent life. Only I didn't know that then. And I stayed sober after we got married two weeks. <laughs> and I, I was like a cat in that house. You know, I want to tell you something. Sobriety was never no sweet package for me. You see, because I didn't have no problems when I drank. <laughs> If I could have stayed drunk all the time, I would have never come to Alcoholics Anonymous. 
I, I didn't win, never worried about paying a bill when I got drunk. I never worried about what was going to be said or how I looked or anywhere. I didn't worry about nothing. I, nothing bothered me, but boy, when I sobered up, you know, I had to get a bondsman. I had to, I had to pay a bill. I had to, I, when I sobered up, the life that the bottle hid me from was still there. It, I wasn't equipped. I wasn't ready. So I'm sober two weeks, and you know, I don't know about you, but I was a runner. You know, I ran from everything. They gave me a promotion at work, and I never went back. I... I, I couldn't face responsibility. I, I knew that. I, I didn't want nothing because I, was, I ran from everything. And now I'm sober two weeks and I got a wife. <laughs> and she wants me home. <laughs> and I got a job and they want me there. <laughs> I, got a, I got a mother-in-law and she don't want me at all. <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> but there I am. And I don't drink. And, 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 uh, and, and the spaghetti goes against the wall. I can't stand it. It's that, I can't stand it. Uh, I had a party and I invited all of her family and both people from my family. <laughs> And when that party was over and it was 7 o'clock at night, I hadn't had a drink. I got in the car with two guys and we had a six-pack. That's two beers apiece. If you're fast. I had one beer after 30 days without a drink. After 30 days without a drink, I had a bottle of beer. And I rolled the window down in that car and I took the bottle and I slapped some broad with it who was hitchhiking. <laughs> Those two guys in the car, they looked at me and they asked a question. They said, what's the matter with you? I don't know. I don't know what's the matter with me. But I had one bottle of beer and I did something I didn't want to do. I didn't have a case of beer. I wasn't on a three-week bender. I had one bottle of beer and my thinking changed. I had one bottle of beer and I was in trouble. So I knew about the first drink before I come to Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a difference between my drinking at this period than there was ever before in my life. See, whenever I took a drink, 
a fire started inside of me, a raging fire, and nothing could put that fire out but alcohol. I had to drown it out. And if it took a month or six months, I just kept, and nothing interfered with that. Not work or responsibility or the police or anybody. I kept going until I couldn't go no more. But when I take a drink now, that fire starts and there's a little man inside my stomach and that man's asleep. And I put some alcohol on that little man and he's got a little leather vest and he got a little violin and he gets up and he stretches and he starts to play and I start to dance. The difference between now and ever before was that when I drink now, my body won't take it no more. And the benders are lasting three or four hours. And I'm puking everything up, and while I'm puking it, I'm grabbing another one. And that ain't fun. I'm drinking and I don't want to drink. I'm drinking and it's killing me. I'm drinking and I'm crying like a great big baby and ain't nothing getting better for me and I can't drink no more. My body's rejecting it. It won't take no more. I damaged myself. I sit around and I cry what's wrong with me while I'm drinking a bottle of beer. Why can't I do nothing about this drinking? Where's the promises? Where's my willpower? Where's the resolutions? Where's all the belief that nothing could wear me out? I've become vividly aware that I'm powerless over alcohol to the point that it's killing me. A desperation sets in on a human being in that condition and there's a lot of us in the room that know that desperation. A total despair that no matter what I do, it ain't never going to get better. For a long time in my life, my friends, there was no light at the end of the tunnel for me. It was darkness and tears, and I seen myself dying a drunk. I was 24 years old, and I knew I was going to die a drunk, and that didn't bother me. What bothered me was that I was going to live to be a very old man, and that's a lot of pain. That's a lot of tears. That's a lot of hopelessness for one human being to bear. And I just wish somebody would come off at a corner and blow the top of my head off, because I couldn't go no more. Every effort I did in improving my life was futile, to no avail. There was nowhere for me to go and nowhere for me to turn. And I think nobody knew that except me. Nobody knew what was wrong with me. I was afraid to go back on a corner. I lost it. I lost it. I couldn't get on there and scuffle with those guys no more. I was afraid. I couldn't put a gun in my hand. I was afraid. I couldn't do nothing. I was afraid. I promised her, I promised everybody, I, I, nothing, no promise, I couldn't, I quit promising myself because I knew I couldn't keep the promise. I'd get up in the morning and the first thing on my mind was I ain't going to drink today. No, no matter what, I ain't going to drink today and by no time I'd have a case of beer and I'd sit down and I'd try to drink it. I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to end up in this state. I didn't want to be the kind of guy I was. I didn't want to think the thoughts I was thinking, but I was powerless over alcohol. 
totally. It ruled me. And my life was unmanageable. Now, <laughs> I had to go to court. Now, see? Now, I struck a deal. <laughs> and the deal was this, that they were going to send me to prison instead of the loony bin. They had a place, a state mental place they were going to send me to. But I struck a deal. And the day before I was going to court, <laughs> fellas got together and they had a little party for me, like I was going to college. Eh? <laughs> and I made up my mind that morning I wasn't going to drink. And I was at the party 10 minutes and I had a bottle of beer. Two and a half hours after I started drinking, I drove everybody out. I threw the jukebox over and I had a guy by the corner of the and I was shaking him and telling him how he should run his life and I was leaving for prison in the morning. When I drink, I'm not the person I want to be. When I'm sober, I have the chance to be the person that I want to be with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. The total help of Alcoholics Anonymous. I remember getting up and going to court that morning and the desperation was still in my guts. The, the gut, the ache in my gut is indescribable, but you know it. And I got up and I went into that courtroom and the ache was in my gut. And that judge said, I find you guilty of shooting with intent to kill on an officer of the law and I sentence you to one to twenty years. And I remember standing before that judge and they grabbed my hands and they threw my hands behind me and I breathed a sigh of relief. Relief. Relief because something was going to change in my life. Something was going to change. Uh, I was going to go to prison, and, and, and that was better than what I was doing with my life. It was better than the prison I'd built for myself inside the bottle. Anything was better than that horror. That horror of alcoholism that I ain't forgot. Not for 30 seconds in my life have I ever forgot that horror. They grabbed me, and they took me, and they put me in a cell in the county jail. And I sat in that county jail. And I want to tell you, my friends, I didn't believe in God. It was the furthest thought ever from my mind was God. Uh, God was just a dirty word you called somebody. It wasn't punishing or loving or anything. It was nothing. It didn't mean nothing. I, I just never thought about it. In the, in the deepest hours of my despair, I never thought to turn to God. And that in itself is a sickness. And as I sat in that county jail, I want to tell you that I believe in God today. As I sat in that county jail, I, 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 there was a guy, an ex-convict, who, who was, had gotten out, and while he got out, he got drunk and he killed somebody. And he was sitting there talking to a new guy who was going down for the first number, and he was telling that guy, if you've ever been arrested for DWI or intox or anything, join Alcoholics Anonymous when you get down there. That guy knew about AA, yet he was going to jail for murder because he got drunk and killed somebody. He didn't have his name on one of these chairs that you're sitting in today. He's probably still sitting in that cell. And you know the amazing part about what? I was just close enough to hear that guy say Alcoholics Anonymous. Just close enough to hear that guy say, Join AA. <laughs> I tell you that I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, but not because I chose it. Alcoholics Anonymous is against my very nature. There's no way in the world I would ever have thought to associate with people like you in my life. 
There is no way in the world I could conceive 12 steps written on a piece of paper is going to help me do anything. It was against my very being, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was a contradiction of my nature to turn to you for help or to turn to anybody for help. And I know about convicts, huh? <laughs> you know, I used to sit in them, and I sat in a lot of them, but I sat in them cells and them guys would be telling me how to break the window and beat the burglar alarm and punch a safe. And you know, it come to me that they got caught. <laughs> <laughs> They're telling me how to do something and they got caught. I quit believing convicts. <laughs> but that guy said Alcoholics Anonymous and I believed them. And what I'm pointing out to you is a power. A power that took everything that I was and completely nullified it, changed it, reversed it. I heard a guy mention Alcoholics Anonymous, a guy that I wouldn't believe in a position that I wouldn't believe it in, and I believed him. I'm telling you that I got grace from a power, advanced grace, if you will, because I certainly didn't earn my way into Alcoholics Anonymous with any good deeds of mine. Advanced grace from that power called God that just loved me. I heard him say Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I was a great starter. <laughs> if the ball game went three innings, I'd have been a champ. <laughs> I was a terrific three-inning ball player. I never followed anything up. <laughs> if you don't believe me, go to my house. <laughs> I started a thousand rooms, and none of them are... <laughs> So when I tell you two months later I joined Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm telling you that I got something that I never had before in my life. The ability to follow through with a thought. To follow through completely with a suggestion. And I'm sober nine and a half years and I'm still following through with it. And that thrills me too. And I followed through with that suggestion. I joined Alcoholics Anonymous. And then my will got the inclination to continue with that, no matter how difficult it got. And those three things that I'm telling you about are the advanced grace from a power called God. And I got it. I got it. I didn't ask for it because I didn't know what it was. And I didn't know who to ask. But in my desperation, he gave me mercy. If I got justice, <laughs> you know, I took the first step of AA before I ever came here. I told you, I knew I was powerless over alcohol and my life was unmanageable, huh? But it's kind of like having a toothache. I can admit I got a toothache. <laughs> I can accept it or whatever else they talk about. You got to be willing anything you want. I did all those things, but I still had the pain with the toothache until I took positive action. And when I took positive action with my disease called alcoholism, I got results. And the positive action that I know how to take is the second step. That's all. That's all. I don't know no other way. 
I don't know no meditations or transcendentals. I don't know nothing about nothing. All I know about is the second step of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think the nicest part about the second step of Alcoholics Anonymous, <clears throat> well, there ain't no time limit. That step don't say you've got 30 days to figure this out or six months or a year. It says came to believe in a power greater than yourself. Came to believe. Came to believe in a power greater than yourself. I went to the parole board and the parole board told me I was a detriment to the decent people of society and they had no choice but to give me a whole gang of time. And I went back to my cell and I, laid, and I, lay, I went back to my rack and I lay down on the bed and I said, God, grant me the serenity to do these five years and not to drink because I'm guilty. I did all those things that those people said that I did that was on those papers and I'm ready to pay for it. I just don't want to drink and if I got to do another five years, I'll do it. I just don't want to drink. I came to believe somewhere in a prayer that you people gave me that I never heard before that if I didn't drink, everything was going to be okay. And I want to tell you about miracles sir, because the miracle is that in 20 minutes they called me back to the parole board and they only gave me three years. Now, in all the times and all the people that had been in, in, in that prison with me, that had never happened to no one before, but it happened to me. I came to believe, and I'm going to tell you how I come to believe, by asking. God's just standing at the door of my heart, and he's knocking, and all i got to do is let him in. That's all i got to do is just let him in. All i got to do is ask for his help, and he's going to give it to me. And I asked, and I got it. I did one of that three. I did one of that three, and, and in that period of time that I joined Alcoholics Anonymous, I wanted to tell you I was the best AA that I knew how to be, because I didn't drink. I didn't drink, and I tried. I tried. You know, I got a little office, and it's not easy to get an office in them places. <laughs> and I got a little can that had some candy, and I got a little coffee pot that had some coffee. And if you're giving anything away from free, for free in the joint, somebody's going to be there to take it. And when they walked in to get a cup of coffee, I told them about a program called Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> I didn't know what I was talking about, but neither did they, so it didn't matter. <laughs> And if you ever got a scheme, if you ever got a scheme or a game plan that's foolproof, discuss it with somebody and they'll show you the loopholes in it. <laughs> and they were shooting me full of holes, but I believed if I didn't drink, I was going to be okay. Guy told me at a meeting and, 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 and he said, if you got a lot of garbage and you want to get rid of that garbage, he said, take a piece of paper, draw a line across the top and draw a line across the bottom, put the good parts here and the bad parts there. And I did that. I got that piece of paper and I sat down and I drew that line and I put the good here and the bad there. And you know what? I couldn't come up with one good thing I'd ever done for another human being in my life. Not one good thing. But that was okay because I couldn't come up with nothing bad that I did to somebody. <laughs> that didn't deserve it. <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to take a fourth step, and I hadn't taken two and three yet. You know, you got to do these things. you, you got to have what they call honesty. Somewhere in a book it uses the word rigorous. Rigorous. 
I didn't have that. I did one of those three, and I came to believe that if I called on this power, I was going to get help. That's all I came to believe in. Could restore me to sanity. And the greatest insanity of my life, my friends, the greatest, was not taking a drink. The greatest insanity of my life was taking the second one. Because the first one brought me pain. And I went back to the well for years for more pain. I got enough brains in my head before I ever took a drink that if I put my hand in fire, it's going to get hurt. And I knew not to get hurt, yet when I drank, my common sense was removed from me. Something was changed in me where I, I went back for the pain. Insanity, the greatest insanity I'll ever have in my life is to take a drink. Because I know better. I got out of there after two years. I, I beat the parole board. <laughs> I owe them two years and they ain't never going to get it. <laughs> Unless I drink. Unless I drink. Because when I stay sober, I don't break the law. When I stay sober, I don't do things that are so terrifically harmful to other people that they got to lock me away, condemned. When I stay sober, I know how to live a little bit. I was sober two years, and I walked out into the world of Alcoholics Anonymous. I walked down 55th and Broadway. I walked out free. Free. Oh, I was free from prison, yeah, but I was free from a, a prison I'd built for myself earlier. Free from alcohol. Free. A freedom I hadn't known. Freedom that's given to me and to you and to everybody in this room. It's offered to you the minute you come through the doors of AA. Freedom. You never have to drink again. And more important or just as important as a freedom from alcohol, I found a freedom from myself. And I found that freedom immediately. You know, I can remember when I was 14 years old and I walked down the street with my mom and she was holding my hand and I seen some of the boys coming. And I shrugged my mom off because I didn't want to be embarrassed to be seen with her. And I'm 26 years old now and I walk down 55th with my head held up high and I ain't got never be ashamed of doing something decent. Not to be ashamed that I'm an alcoholic and I don't have to drink. I wasn't ashamed of being myself freedom, a gift to me by just not drinking. And I went to meetings. I had a love affair with Alcoholics Anonymous and it's still going on. I love it. AA is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my life, bar none. Bar none. See, but I had a problem. <laughs> I didn't know how to live sober. I didn't know how to function sober. I, 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 I couldn't think like everybody else thinks. I, I can remember I was sober a week out here. One week. And I, and I went to a meeting and, and they, they said a guy's sick and he's in a hospital. And will somebody send him a card? Man, I said, I want to do something nice. You don't. you got to understand, I just wanted to be kind. I, I had hurt so many people and I wanted to be kind. And I was... <laughs> And I drove out to that hospital the next, I drove way out in the suburbs to that hospital and they, and they went and they wouldn't let me in. The guy had a heart attack and he was in a coronary unit. 
So I went to the lobby of that hospital and I called the hospital and I said, I want it. And they put, they give this guy the phone in the coronary unit. And he asked, I said, my name is Mel Loring and I heard you were sick and I, he said, leave me alone, please. <laughs> he said, I'm dying. <laughs> I said, well, screw you. And he's like, <laughs> I didn't know how to do things like other people did things. <laughs> I remember if it, in my first weeks, I, I was driving down the street and there was an old lady and she was dragging a mattress and there was a young kid on the other end and they were half to three quarters of the way across the street and I had to zip around them to get by them and I said, man, I'm going to help them people and I slammed them brakes on and backed that car up and they threw the mattress down and they ran. <laughs> They thought I was going to beat him up for blocking the road. See, my timing was off. You know, I wanted to do things, but I had real bad timing. I, I didn't know how to do it like you people did it. But I didn't quit. The greatest thing I've ever put into Alcoholics Anonymous is an effort. By no mean result, <laughs> effort. No matter what, I just never quit trying, and I ain't quit trying today. An effort to improve myself, to change my life, to gather up what you people have offered me. I was trying to read these books. I, I threw this book more than one occasion, this book of alcohol, because I couldn't understand it. I couldn't get past the first half a page on that. I couldn't remember. My mind was, wouldn't function on them kind of things. I, 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 couldn't comp I couldn't remember or understand what the hell I was reading, and I threw that book. I was two and a half years without a drink. That's six months out here sober. <clears throat> and they gave me a pamphlet. <clears throat> Some in was reading that pamphlet and I was understood what I was reading as I was reading it. And when I sat down, I remembered what I read. Two and a half years without a drink and my mind cleared. <laughs> I went out to the coffee bar for a cup of coffee and they had a whole stack of them pamphlets for free. I didn't function right, <laughs> but nobody ever told me that I had to leave. Never, never, ever, nobody told me I had to get out. There was one lady. <laughs> she told me I was uncouth. <laughs> but that didn't matter because I didn't know what that was at the time. <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous is growing up for me, and, and it's, it's as basic and as simple as that. It was a matter of growing up for me, and I started to grow up. I, I started for my head to clear. You know, they used to get me, in, uh, I'd be at meetings, and, you know, I wouldn't tell nobody nothing. I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to talk dirty or race cars or something, I could go along with that, but when a couple of a, a real AAs got me in a corner, I looked like one of them dogs you see in the back of the window. I just kept shaking my head because uh, I knew if I opened my mouth, they was going to know. I didn't know nothing. 
you don't, you, you gotta, you, how many times I stood at the top of stairs and the meeting was down below and, and I wanted to go down there, but I was afraid. I, I wanted to be there where the help was, but I was afraid. And I knew that guts, when my guts ache like that, I knew what would take that away. I knew what would remove that fear. Give me a can of beer and I walk down to that meeting King Kong. But I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to drink. And, and, and I, it took a lot that I never had before in my life to walk down steps of Alcoholics Anonymous like you people did tonight. I couldn't do that for a long time. I can recall you know, these people, these guys around here, they ask you, that lady passing these things out over here. Them people have stood up with 30 days. You got more guts than I ever had. I didn't tell nobody nothing. I didn't confess for five years that I, I didn't know how long I was sober in the first place, but I didn't, a couple of years, I didn't say nothing to nobody. They, they, they was at a group and they had one of these kind of things, these deals where they <coughs> punched a... <laughs> Punched a number on a thing, you know, what what what'd you call these? Tickets, chips, where they punched a number on a chip, and the guy said, hey, he said, what's your anniversary? I got up and walked out. I never went back to that dude. <laughs> See, I didn't know what my anniversary was. I didn't have just what the way we're talking about. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't have nothing. Nothing. I was over three years, and I walked into Newburgh, and they talked about things that just baffled me. They talked about with real strength, like the pillars of this building, they talked to me. And I wanted what they had. And I asked them, guys, I said, hey, where do you get this kind of stuff? They said, we get it from God. I said, well, I want some. Guy said, you get up in the morning, get down on your knees and pray. Ask them for help. And that was that. That's all he said to do was just get down on your knees and pray. And you know, I couldn't do that. I wanted to do that, but I couldn't remember to do it. I didn't have the discipline that was necessary for me to do that, huh? I'd be halfway to work, and I remember I hadn't said my prayers. And, and, I'd, and I'd say, God, I'd be driving or get out like I had a flat tire. I'd say, God, help, help me not to drink today. I, I would get discouraged. Why can't I? Everybody else is doing that. Them guys in Newburgh are doing it, and I can't do it for months. That went on every day trying that. And one day I was standing at the clock winding my watch, and it, you know, it dawned on me. If I can remember to wind my watch, I'll say my prayers in. And I knelt down in front of the clock and said my prayers. And you know what? I don't need a reminder to say my prayers today because doing something decent is a part of my life just as easy as breathing. To depend on that power for me is as easy as breathing. It's a natural. It's become a good habit. A good habit, if you will. You know, I remember I was, I got a job. <laughs> a, I mean, a real job. A job that, you know, they didn't care how many numbers I had behind my name or how many prisons I was in. They took a flyer. The guy was in AA. And I never said that before. But the, the guy was in AA and he gave me a flyer. And I was standing and I was excited. I was standing in the office and it, I hadn't said my prayers that morning and I excused myself and went down to the bathroom and it was a one holer and it didn't have no door on it and, and somebody had urinated all over the floor and I had to make a decision <laughs> you know I've got a job that I might work with the job that I just quit as a matter of fact I, I'm gonna have to work with these people for I don't know how the new and what if they catch me kneeling down here and the decision took that long because I get drunk 
That's how fast the decision was for me. And I got down and I know, and I stood up and I tell you the truth, I don't never have to be ashamed of praying. I ain't ashamed of my God. I don't never have to be ashamed or embarrassed for doing anything decent in my life. And I don't have to cop no pleas and explain. Explain to anybody why I love God. The proof is in my life. I see it, and I see it, and you people, and you people are the ones that showed it to me, and you told me what to do, and I did just with you what I tried to do when I first got well, first got out of that jailhouse. I tried to do what successful people did, and that's what I'm doing today, just what the successes have showed me how to do. I didn't read it in a book, and I didn't hear it on television. I seen it with my eyes, because my ears ain't so good, but my eyes are perfect, and I see what other people do, and I pattern myself after them. Successes and Alcoholics Anonymous. The power of example that was given to me. It's a story of growing up for me. And things started to get real good when I depended on this power. I tried that fourth step uh, maybe 15 times. <coughs> but, <laughs> you know, I... <laughs> I wrote all them things down, but them things didn't seem to mean nothing. I, you know, I went to a retreat, and I was standing there waiting to go in and talk to the guy, you know, and I was, you don't have to be at Gethsemane to sweat blood. I was standing there, man, and I was scared, <laughs> you know, all right. <laughs> and I went into that thing, and I was talking to the guy, and I was crying, and big tears, and I was babbling, and, and 20 minutes, and I have to hold it, hold it. He said, did you kill him? I said, no. He said, then let's go to dinner. He said, you're all right. <laughs> I tried that fourth step, and I tried that fourth step, but you know, somewhere along the line, I got confused. <clears throat> because I was cleaning out the trash, and that fourth step said, a searching and fearless moral inventory of me. It don't say nothing about who I beat up. It said an inventory of what I am, with no fear that what I see is going to scare me of my morals, the fiber that's weaved through my body and through my mind, of what I am, what motivates me, an inventory of that. Not who the hell I beat up on July the 4th, what I am and why I did it. And once you remove the reason and you find that alcohol played a real petty part in my motivation, the sickness was in my soul. That's what I found. And that's what the rest of these steps work on. The rest of these steps don't never say, uh, uh, clean up the alcohol. They say, change lives, shortcomings, people we harm. That's what that step says to me. Find yourself. And if there's anybody in this room that ever makes it up to Newburgh, walk in there and you're going to shake hands with a stranger. And that stranger is going to be yourself. You're going to meet yourself in places like that, or maybe down here in places in Cincinnati, where the group as a whole depends on the power. And God just smiles on people like that, and smiles on groups like that, just like he smiles on Alcoholics Anonymous. And all you got to do is ask them. That's all. Now, things got real good for my life, and terrifically good. I, I got remarried, and... and, and you know, the best doctors in Cleveland Clinic, and that's probably the best doctors in the world, in 1969, told me I'd never have kids because of the damage I did to myself. I ruined myself. And I was married, and my wife gave me a, the biggest Polak you've ever seen. In this 
He's got hair as white as that paper, and he just loves me. Uh, uh, you know, he he got up to where he was the toddling walking stage, and 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 all during the week everything was okay, but it seemed like just on Sundays, just on Sundays, he'd walk up and he'd grab my leg and he'd hug my leg and he'd say, "Dad, please don't go. I love you." Now I never had that before in my life. I. I, I, I didn't, wasn't ever able of giving that kind of love, so I certainly couldn't receive it. And now I had it, and he was asking me to stay. And I want to tell you something. The very first time, the very first time that I take the gift that God has given me, and he's given me a tremendous amount, and I put them before him. I put them before the giver of the gift. I make them more important than his will for me. The very first time I do that, I'm in trouble. The very first time I say, thanks, God, I got a lot and I don't need no more, I'm in trouble. I cease to be in his grace. I cease to serve him and I want to serve myself. I come to the point where I'm ripe. I'm ripe. I got enough and I don't want no more. And you know what's the next stage after being ripe? You rot. <laughs> there ain't no more growing after being ripe. It's rot. And then I get drunk. When I undo all the things that you people have given me and all the good habits that I've formed, when I say I don't need you in AA no more, I don't believe in those 12 steps, and finally I reach up and slap Christ in the face and say, thanks, pal, but I don't need it no more, then I get drunk. <coughs> but a long time before that can happen in my life, I tell you that I've made friends in Alcoholics Anonymous that call me real quick when I don't show up where I'm supposed to be, when I don't do things that I'm supposed to do. i got a lot of people and they're in this room that you're going to be wherever I'm at, and they're going to say, hey, hey, we don't want you drunk. We care about you. <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous has given me all that I have and all that I am. It's the most precious thing there is. If I go home tomorrow and, and, and my wife and kids are dead and the house is burned down and I ain't got a job, then I got the very same thing that I started with when I come in nine and a half years ago. Sobriety. But you give me a drink and it's all going to go away and then I got nothing. And that's the horror of alcohol. Us with nothing. Not even ourselves. I don't know when I started or how long I talked, but I'm just about done. I'm just about done. If there's any new people in this room, and if I got any advice for anybody, it's for the new guy, and I tell you, don't drink and go to meetings. <clears throat> for the new people in this room, those that stood up with those 30 days, three months and six months, don't drink and go to meetings, because if it'll work for me, it'll work for anybody. It'll work for anybody. If you want what we have in Alcoholics Anonymous, come on in. The game is open. God dealt you a handful of aces. Don't draw no cards, man. Play the ones you got. And anything that you see in anybody in this room is yours. Whether it be happiness or peace or whatever it is you want, it's yours. Because Alcoholics Anonymous was not the end for me, it was the beginning.
It's the vehicle that I use. Sobriety is the vehicle that I use to travel to any heights of peace, any heights of usefulness, any heights. And it's yours. Come with us. Don't leave. We need you. We depend on each other. There was a little girl that went to Europe. And while she was in Europe, she visited all the cathedrals and she looked at all the stained glass windows and she asked the guide who those people were on the stained glass windows and the guide told her, those are the saints. And when she got home and everybody asked her what she'd seen while she was in Europe, she told them, I've seen the saints. And when they asked her who the saints were, she said, the saints are the ones that let the light in. And you people in this room and in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous throughout have let the light in for me because I can see. I've learned how to live and for my life I thank you. For allowing me to share these few moments with you, I thank you. I congratulate this group on their third year of total terrific success in helping your fellow man. And I got a goal today a big goal and I shoot for it every morning and that's to live my life so that I might die in the friendship of God and the best way that I know how to do that is to trust God <coughs> serve you and love you all and there's going to come a time in my life where there's going to be asked a question me and Linda's going to be at the gates and God's going to ask me just one question. That's all, just one. He's going to say, what did you do with your sobriety? What did you do with the life that I gave you in AA? And if the only thing me and her can say is, well, we gave a drunk a buck and a quarter once. He's going to say, give them their buck and a quarter back. Send them down. Send them down. But if I walk up there with a bag of things that I did for other people, regardless of how much I let go of myself, of what I did for other people, we'll be all right. Thank you, and God bless you. Thank you.